you can hear me. Great to be here this morning. Just uh, came back from Denver, Colorado at our biennial meeting. And if you look at the next slide, uh, you see Scott Rideout, our new president. Fairly new, two years now. I don't think he's been here at Springbrook to preach. What a great man of God. We stole him from the Sun Valley Church in Arizona where he started uh, oh, probably 20 years ago when he had a small group. And uh, this morning, if you'd have been there at Sun Valley, two campuses, uh, between six and 7,000 people would have worshipped together uh, there uh, out in Sun Valley. He's just a great man of God that God has given vision for church planting. Uh, if all the people that has, have been coached by him uh, would stand up uh, in a group meeting, there'd be literally dozens of men and women that have said yes to the call of God because of Scott's influence in their lives. And we're grateful that God has brought him to us in Converge as our president. And he gave his 10-year plan a couple of weeks ago. And uh, one of the things that I heard in the meetings was, it's not about seating capacity. Uh, I'm sure our pastor, Dan, has never had that thought about why isn't every chair full in our in our in our churches. But friends, listen to me. It's not about seating capacity. Uh, God can gather a crowd whenever He wants. It's got nothing to do with seating capacity. It's got everything to do with sending capacity. Uh, that we see pastors and missionaries and servants of God raised up in our churches and sent out for the glory of God. Somebody say amen. I'm preaching to white people mostly in Springbrook Community Church. You've got to tell them where to say amen. Amen belongs there. We've got sending capacity. And I'll remember to the day, my dying day pastoring in Melville, Saskatchewan, Canada. Who knows where Melville is? Who wants to know? Who cares, right? And there in Melville, Saskatchewan, a little Baptist church on the plains of Canada. And not 40 miles away was Springside, Saskatchewan. And there's Springside Baptist Church. Richard Grabke was the pastor, a great man of God. He's gone to be with Jesus now. He discipled me. It was a town of 300 people. And uh, God gave him the vision to build a sanctuary that held 400 people. And uh, I just can't believe it in that little town. But that wasn't the main point. The main point was in 90 years, God raised up 90 pastors and missionaries to send out of that local church. It's about sending capacity. Uh, that's what we want to see happen in the ministry here at Springbrook. That's why Pastor Rich is going to India and to Nepal to see the great things that God is doing there. Uh, you had Ivan Veldheisen here a few weeks ago, part of the Converge family under the leadership of Scott Rideout. And uh, Ivan has the dream in the next 10 years of having 300 missionaries serving on the fields of our world. As Pastor goes to Nepal next week, 800 local churches have been planted in Nepal. One of the highest concentrations of paganism. You and I are a part of that. We get the benefit of partnering with them as they're raising up disciples and pastors. It's such an amazing day. And Scott Rideout is leading that effort uh, together with a whole staff of people down there in Orlando. My boss is Steve Schultz. There's Steve. Oh, I forgot to tell you what Ivan always says. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. If you're Dutch here this morning, I hope you can take that to heart. <laughs> and and uh, we're from a Swedish background in our movement here. And, and here we've allowed a German 
he's German, and uh, we're grateful for him. And uh, he's been our CFO and president of the Cornerstone Fund Retirement Program uh, for the last uh, over almost 30 years. And he came as a young man, a baby, somebody said, and God has used him. The Cornerstone Fund, of which I'm the vice president, is 60 years old. And when I started six years ago, uh, I moved from being the vice president with Jerry Shevlin and then over to Cornerstone Fund, we had less than $150 million. This morning I can report to you we have $244 million that we use to make loans to churches just like Springbrook. You owe us $4 million. Pay up. <laughs> uh, the $4 million that we use to build this beautiful sanctuary for the glory of God, we're grateful. And uh, the next slide tells you the special I have for Springbrook. You invest money with us, we pay you 3%. Lady came up to me after the morning service and said, did, you, did I hear you right? You said you're going to give me 3%? I said, yes, ma'am. And so 3%, you loan us the money. We loan it out to the churches. The churches pay us a little bit more than the 3% so we can pay you. And then out of the little bit of money we make this year, we're going to give $1.6 million to the missions program of Converge. We're, that's our partnership. We believe that that's our duty to be able to help fund the missions program, church planting, so that God can begin to build His church and building disciples. We're so grateful for that opportunity. Thank you for being partners with us. This morning I hope you have your Bible to turn to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel on Wednesday, March the 9th, 2016, a terrorist walked on the boardwalk in Tel Aviv with a knife. As he walked by terrorists, he stabbed them one after another. And a policeman pulled his revolver and shot him dead. I thought about that incident. We we're having a whole bunch of terrorist things happen in our world, ISIS and other things that we hear about over and over again. And we forget that God sometimes has a plan and that those things happen for a reason, to remind us of the greatness and the goodness of our God. And there in Tel Aviv, when that happened, it wasn't uh, politically, Vice President Joe Biden was not far from that site. But as I thought about it, Joe Biden, our Vice President, could not do anything to prevent that terrorist from going on a rampage that day. And what about all the times in Israel that God's protective power, His divine sovereign plan, unexplained mysteries in the modern age, one of them is the protection of Israel. The wars of 1948, 1956, 1967, 1973. Get a book out of the library. Read about the times that the enemies of Israel pounced upon them when they thought that they were defenseless and that they were going to be beaten down by the enemies. And each and every time, God was there to protect them. And if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 11 and 12, Then God said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is perished. We are completely shut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then verse 13 says, Then you will know that I am the Lord, and I have opened your graves and caused you to come up 
out of the graves. It's God that has divinely protected Israel. You and I are not alone. God is with us. Those things were written over 2,500 years ago so that you and I today might read them and take hope and encouragement out of the fact that we serve a God, uh, that we do, not, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but in spiritual powers in heavenly places, you and I have the victory. God is on our side. We will not be defeated no matter what is going on in your life. And I tell you the truth this morning, my heart was gladdened and full of joy when I heard a number of people come up to me and explain the miracles that have happened in their lives because of this local church, how lives have been saved and changed. Oh, you can't see it this morning, but for 20 years, this church has been blessed. And part of the reason why is because we have our own Daniel. (laughs) Pastor Dan has been our faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ all of these years. God gave him the vision to plant this church. He partnered with Jesus Christ when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Aren't you glad this morning you're in a gospel preaching, gospel believing, a gospel transformational place because of the power of God? (laughs) A lady told me the story. I forgot. I didn't remember. I got to admit it. And she said, Dr. Lou, you prayed for a woman that had a miscarriage and that baby, that lady now has six children. <laughs> Why? Because of Lou Petrie? No! Because we serve the living God, the God of heaven, the one that can do the impossible, and that He can do whatever it is that He says He will do. And He wants to do it for you because you're His child. And it's so important to remember that, that you and I are in the hands of God. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. <laughs> And God is the one that is in the business of holding the future for you and for me. And when that happens, I tell you what, there's nobody that can defeat us. Nobody can come against us. No terrorist, no ISIS group, nobody in the world can defeat us. And that's what we want to see happen. One of the great stories of Converge is that we're going to go to the Spice Islands, the Spice Islands Initiative, over there in Indonesia. The, the highest concentration of Muslims live in Indonesia. We're going to raise up teams of missionaries for the next 10 years to go to the Spice Islands, and we're going to preach Jesus. I believe in the United States military, don't you? Uh, I do. I think they're the greatest people in the world. But they will not defeat Islam. You, they cannot. Uh, they cannot defeat Islam. The only force on earth that can defeat the Muslim propaganda. Somebody say it. Ah, God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only way it's going to happen. You and I sending out missionaries, digging deep in our pockets, giving the money that's needed to send them, praying and asking and trusting God for His miracle in our lives. Well, this morning we're going to look at the life of a man that knew How to trust God. (laughs) There I was in Springside, Saskatchewan in Canada, preaching revival. We used to go to the churches and we'd preach for two and three weeks. We don't do that anymore. Nobody would come. (laughs) But I I would do it in those old days. I was young enough and foolish enough. And Pastor Richard Grabke told me about a little boy. 
He told me how the little boy wanted to be obedient to God and to be baptized because he heard the call of God in his life and he was saved. The problem was that his daddy didn't want him to be baptized. And his daddy prevented that little boy from being baptized and following after Jesus. Uh, uh, Richard would go to the man and plead with him, beg him to let his little boy follow through on what he knew was right. And the father got sick and went into the hospital. And Richard went there and said, Sir, the reason you're in this hospital bed, and the man would repent and he would say, Oh, his little boy could be baptized, but then the devil would enter into his heart and he wouldn't let him. And I'll, I'll never forget to my dang, dying, dying day get up uh, behind the pulpit to preach on Daniel, the prophet. Dare to be a Daniel. Uh, and uh, I pointed down in the front row and I pointed at a little guy and I said, You could be a Daniel! <laughs> and the whole church began to laugh. And I thought, what did I say? <laughs> His name was Daniel. <laughs> and he was the little boy. When I gave the invitation, the little boy came forward to the front of the church. Richard Grabke, the pastor, saw him. And before I knew it, there was a man stirring in the back pew of the church. He got up and he ran down. He ran into the aisle and he grabbed the little boy and he hugged him. And it was his daddy, the man that had resisted allowing his little boy to be baptized. You could be a Daniel. You. <laughs> You're our Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. As, as God blesses the ministry of Springbrook, as we come on to our 20th anniversary celebration to see what it is that God is going to do. And brethren, listen to me. He's going to do it through you. As you hear and feel the call of God asking you to go across the street to your neighbor, uh, uh, in the schools, the places where we work, that we might share Christ, the love of Jesus. Didn't we sing about it this morning? Our God loves us. And nobody is going to be able to stand against us. And in our Bible this morning, I'm not even preaching yet. We're just, that's all for free. Uh, in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, this morning's title is Who Holds the Future? And you need to come back next week for the details and what does the future hold? That's next Sunday. And uh, you and I looking at the book of Daniel. And then Pastor Dan will have to have me back for the third part. The third part is why does the future hold? Why does the future hold? And who holds the future? And what are the details that God has for us? Well, it's found in Daniel chapter 10. Here is this great prophet of God taken from Israel as a captive to Babylonia. You remember the history. Twelve tribes of Israel. Ten tribes taken in 722 went to Assyria. Nineveh. You want to learn about that? Read the book of Jonah. Jonah was sent as a missionary by God to Nineveh. People with sharp teeth. They were the enemy of God. And Jonah went and preached revival and repentance. And Nineveh repented to the surprise of Jonah. And that was... Part 1. Part 2 is the message of Daniel, where in 586 they were taken captive, the last two tribes, to Babylon, uh, the greatest power the world had known unto then. And then Nebuchadnezzar, that king, that great king. And there is Daniel and his three friends as little boys, and uh, how they did not compromise their spiritual lives. But they looked to God and they trusted God. And now we're coming to the place in Daniel chapter 10, one of my favorite chapters of all in the Bible, where Daniel is an old man. 
I've been in the ministry now 40-some years. This year I'll be 66 years old. Daniel was probably about 70 years old at this time. As an old man, he had seen all the miracles of God, all the deliverances of God, all of the things that God had done for him and for his friends and for the nation of Israel. And yet Daniel knew that there was more to come. And God gives him a vision. He tells him to seal that vision up until the end. And now, brothers and sisters, you and I are living at the time that was written about 2,500 years ago. That you and I, here in America, in 2016, we are very close to the coming of Jesus Christ. Somebody say Amen. He's coming again in great glory. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we do it not for ourselves, but we do it for the glory of the Heavenly Father. That we declare with certainty, "Eh, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. You and I can trust God this morning that He's going to do what it is that He has said He will do. And He reveals it to Daniel. It's found in Daniel chapter 10, beginning at verse 12. Then He, Gabriel, said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for twenty-one days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people, Israel, in the latter days. For the vision pertains to the days yet future. Lord, we pray this morning. Now, God, by Your Holy Spirit, attend Your Word. Empower us to both speak and to listen. And Lord, we ask, O God, that You might Give us great hope and encouragement this morning as the people of God. Lord, I don't know what's going on in many people's lives, but I know this. You know. And You will take action as we humble ourselves and as we pray. And as we turn from our wicked ways, You will hear from heaven. And You will revive Your people. Lord, help us this morning. Thank You for this great church, Springbrook. Thank You for our pastor and his family. Lord, thank You for the staff and the leaders here at Springbrook. I pray, O God, a special blessing upon them. Anoint them for the years uh, that we have together to be able to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from place to place. Thank you for the miracles that have been done already. And now, Lord, speak to us. Challenge us. Make us your people, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, for His sake. Amen. Point one, the assurance. Then he said to me, Gabriel, the angel, do not be afraid, Daniel. You know, if we're not careful, we could be afraid in our world. Take a look at ISIS. Why has this place, this group of people, do you really believe that a countryless army that has no base of operations to speak of, that that the United States, France, England, and Russia could not defeat this group of people. I'm telling you they could do it in an instant. 
The reason they cannot do it is because ISIS has a place to play in the history of the world. Uh, that ISIS is there to prepare the way for a person called the Antichrist. That he is going to come and he's going to betray uh, the values and virtues that he says he believes. Uh, that he's going to say that he worships the living God, but he does not really. He wants to be the God of eternity himself. He's going to be inspired by the devil. Uh, and Daniel, seeing that in a vision, can you imagine Daniel 2,500 years ago looking by the grace of God into the future and he sees things that he cannot understand? He cannot understand airplanes and tanks and weapons and all of those things. He cannot. And so the Bible says he became distressed in his spirit. Because these were things that were happening that were beyond his understanding. But the Bible says, supernaturally, God gave him understanding. And Gabriel came in response to his prayers. And he tells them, do not be afraid, Daniel. <laughs> do not be afraid, Daniel. Don't be afraid what's going to happen in your life. War seems to be right around the corner. Who is in control? God is in control. Nothing happens but that he does not know. The devil thinks he is winning. But I've read the last chapter. God wins! God wins! God wins! His plans will not be thwarted. You and I will be a part of the great movement of God as history winds down. Do not be afraid. Do not fret. Do not be surprised. Do not be discouraged. He will not fail us or forsake us. And over and over again in the life of Daniel, he saw the power and provision of God, just like we've seen it here at Springbrook, just like you've seen it in your life and in your family, just like we've seen it in the United States of America. When Israel became a nation in 1948, that great miracle of God that's spoken of in Isaiah 66, huh? One of the first nations to stand up and say we support Israel was who? The United States of America. And because of that declaration, we've been blessed by God. But as we move away from that blessing, I tell you what, we're going to be facing the same thing that France and other places are facing uh, that turned against Israel. And you and I need to write our politicians and tell them do not give up in support of Israel. We believe that God has a plan for Israel's sake. And here's Daniel. And if you turn back to me with me to Daniel chapter 3, he sees it over and over again. Daniel chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and anger, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And for this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, all tied up. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded, stood up in haste. He responded and said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, Certainly, O king. And as Nebuchadnezzar the great king, one of the greatest kings of all history, looked into the furnace, he could count one, two, three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as he looked down, he saw one like the Son of Man walking around with those three boys in the fire. Were they afraid to be thrown into the fire? Yes. Huh. If we die because of our testimony in, in God, we will die. But if we are thrown into that fire, we believe our God is able to deliver us. Do you believe it this morning? No matter what kind of fire. Oh, yeah, the liberal preachers will say, oh, it's just a story. It's not true. It's a myth. Brothers and sisters, listen to me this morning. Our God is true and real. He can deliver us from the fire. He can deliver us from any that come to terrorize us. There isn't anything He can't do for us this morning. Do you believe it in your life and in your heart? Ha! And there I was, a firefighter, Waterloo, Ontario, 22 years old. In the fire department, the bell rang that day. We got to the house fire. The house was engulfed in flames. The mother was running on the sidewalk, screaming at the top of her voice, My baby! My baby! She's in the house! I jumped off the back of that fire truck. I put my Scott Air Pack on. I got my helmet and my gear ready. And I climbed that ladder to get through an upper uh, window on that building. And as I climbed up and as I tried to go through the window, there was something there keeping me out. (laughs) And I tried to go in again and I was knocked out again. And finally when I looked, I realized it was Gordon Wesley. One of the old guys. He didn't wait to put on a Scott Air Pack. The baby's life was in danger. He went in without it. He was a smoke eater. Uh, He was a firefighter. (laughs) And while he was in that room, he begged God, Lord, give me a leg. Give me an arm. Give me a head. Let me save this baby. (laughs) And in his arms... He had the little girl. Our God can do anything. Our God can do anything. Every miracle that comes that we see, it's because of God. His glory is established when you and I trust Him and allow Him to do the work that He wants us to do. And Nebuchadnezzar looks into that furnace. He sees the fire. He feels the fire. He sees the three boys. But then, walking with the three boys, is, I believe, an incarnation of Jesus. A Christophany. There it is. He was with those boys, giving them protection. And the Bible tells us when they pull them out of the furnace, there was not even the smell of smoke on their garments. The fire did not touch them. Let me ask you this morning, what are you going through in your personal life? Financial? Health-wise? Huh? Children-wise? Relationship-wise? What is going on in your life? Entrust it to God. Let God know what is going on in your life. Let Him do the miracle. I'm going to tell you something now I've never shared with anybody except my own family. I couldn't share it in the early service because my daughter was here. 
I didn't want her to weep. When I was a little boy at the age of five, my mama had cancer. She was going to die. She laid in the front parlor of our house. Daddy had already abandoned us. Me and my brother, he got afraid. He ran away. Grandpa and Grandma were raising us. Deaf mutes, neither hear nor speak. And there their daughter was dying of cancer in the front hall. I was in the kitchen with Grandma and Grandpa. I heard some noise in the front hall. I went into the front hall to see my mama. Nothing was there. And then I heard the voice. When I looked up the stairs, there was a man standing at the top of the stairs. I was five years old. The man called for me to come. And I went up the stairs and I stood by the man. And he put his hand on my head, Pastor Richard. And he said, Do not be afraid. Everything will be okay. I ran down the stairs. I went to Grandpa and I told him, Grandpa, there's a man upstairs. And Grandpa was a tough guy. He jumped up and he ran upstairs and he searched in every room. And there was no man. There was nobody. Who was that man? (laughs) And Daniel, as he's praying in the midst of trouble, Gabriel comes, a, a messenger of God. And speaks to Daniel about his future. (laughs) That was Holy Thursday, 1955. And on Good Friday, 1955, God took my mama to be with him in heaven. From that day till this, I have never doubted that God is with me. Friends, listen to me. It's not something special for me. It's for all of us. God is with us this morning. He will not leave us nor forsake us. We have that assurance this morning. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven upon earth, and I will be with you always until the end of the age. Do you believe it this morning? Jesus said it, that you and I have Him living with us and within us this morning. The assurance, but point two is this, the affirmation. The affirmation, we see it here. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, if God is in control, as I maintain He is, then we must understand what is going to happen. First of all, God has caused a great miracle to happen. The greatest miracle of our generation happened in 1948. And in 1948, Israel became a nation. Isaiah 66 said, Uh, that God opened the womb for Israel and they were reborn. And in 1948, that great miracle happened in Jerusalem and it was just a small piece of land that was given, a little bigger than the Balfour Declaration that the English made when, when, when all the... What am I trying to say? The... What do you call it? Yeah, what did you say? Oh, see there, that's why we have this brother in the room. The refugees were coming to Israel from the Second World War and First World War. The Balfour Declaration in 1917 allowed for the Jews a a kind of a homeland. But in 1948, God allowed Israel to become a nation. 
a people that were not a people, a tongue that was no longer spoken. And they were reborn. And God did a miracle, a great miracle. He did it because of us. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. He did it because of us. Because we're the generation alive now that we're going to see Russia invading Israel. Russia, the great nation, is going to invade Israel to cement their partnership with the Arab nations and with Iran. And it's going to happen as sure as we're all here this morning. And you and I need to be ready for it. The second thing that's going to happen is, there's going to, and you can read Ezekiel 38-39 to see the, the history of that great event when Russia invades Israel. And then, according to Malachi, the Messiah, when He comes, will come to the temple, the holy temple. So that's point two. A temple needs to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. A temple is going to be rebuilt as sure as we're standing here this morning. Huh? And already they have the plans. That I've been there. I've seen the spot upon which the temple will be rebuilt. I tell people all the time when I'm preaching in churches, if today they put a brick down in Jerusalem, one brick for the temple of God, you and I need to be talking to our neighbors and to our friends because the end is coming. The temple will be rebuilt. And then the third thing that Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians is an Antichrist will arise. He, there has to be a temple because according to Daniel, the abomination of desolation, that that Antichrist will betray everything he says and he will sit in the temple on the very throne of God and he will cause a great sinful disruption in our world and the world will be at the point of the coming of Jesus Christ, the King of glory. Huh? And we shall see His face. And the trumpet will sound. And the clouds will part. And the King will be coming back. It will be our day. And He will come back to the temple. And He will rule and reign according to Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And we will see that great event happen. And Jesus Himself said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to the ethne, the people groups. Remember now, seminary, 16,000 people groups in our world. 1980, I'm a student in the missions program. How long will it take to reach 16,000 ethne, people groups? Huh? And now today I can tell you, just heard it two weeks, an updated figure, Little more than 6,000 ethne to be left in our world to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So important that Richard goes uh, to Nepal and to India because that part of the world is the, is the heaviest part of unreached people groups in our world. And we need to see it. Uh, the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And then the end shall come. But listen to verses 15 and 16. Therefore, When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Are you with me? Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Why? Because the judgment of God is coming. Jesus Christ came as a lamb to be sacrificed, but the second time He's coming as a lion to be judged. And we will see Him and will experience Him in that way. And brothers and sisters, our opportunity in this generation, in the times of the Gentiles, and next week I'm going to talk about it, 
that seven-year period that's left at the end, God's dealing with the Jews and the Israel. You and I have an opportunity before that day happens because once that bell is rung, it cannot be unrung. And you and I need to be about the gospel-spreading duty that you and I have been called to by Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness. And brothers and sisters, I hope you know what that Greek word witness means. It's the word martyr. That you and I, some of us, I'm sure, are going to give our lives, and many have in our world, for the cause of the gospel. That we might lift up the name of Jesus and that He might be exalted. And then point three is the activator. The activation. Your words were heard, Gabriel says to Daniel, and I have come in response to your words. Brothers and sisters, Listen to me. We're in a spiritual battle this morning. Gabriel is there with Daniel. He tells Daniel that the devil tried to prevent the answer to his prayers coming to him so that Gabriel sent out the help call so that Michael the archangel would come and fight the king of Persia. Paul, the apostle Paul, wrote in Ephesians, We wrestle not with flesh and blood. Weapons will not defeat Uh, the spiritual powers that are operative in this world. You and I are in a spiritual battle. We are are fighting together as Daniel did in his day. And as his three friends, you and I need to be committed to the mission of reaching people with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Not one missing from the throne of grace when we all gather together in that last day. You and I have that great opportunity today if we might dedicate and commit ourselves to the mission that Jesus started when He said, I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God has put three countries in my life. (laughs) I'm going to have to ask God when I get to heaven how, how all of that goes together first country was China. I've prayed for China. I begged God to do a miracle in China. Over one billion people. I can keep you here all day telling you the miracles that I know of that have happened in China. The second country is South Korea. I'll come back to that one. The third one is Israel. You cannot look at Israel and not see the hand of God. All of the miraculous deliverances, all of the things that are happening there, you cannot. I don't know how anybody can look at Israel and not say there's a God in heaven. And He's ruling and reigning. But let me tell you about South Korea. When my daughter Erin went over to South Korea to be a missionary, (laughs) she wrote back and she said, Lou, Daddy, use this in your preaching. (laughs) A little Korean girl came and pulled on her dress. The teacher, Erin, can I ask you a question? The little Korean girl was there. and Erin said, sure, you ask me a question. The little Korean girl said to her, do you love Jesus? (laughs) And Erin looked down at her and said, why are you asking me that? 
She said, because I love Jesus and I want you to love Him too. And then I went over to Korea. I didn't get to preach in a Baptist church. They asked me to preach in Presbyterian churches. I said, okay. And then Billy Kim, the pastor of the largest church in Seoul, Korea, said, Lou, would you like to go to a prayer meeting? I said, I sure would. We got there to the prayer meeting. It was at 5 o'clock in the morning. The sanctuary had 5,000 people at prayer. And then I realized at 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, every service was full. 20,000 people. And then Billy Kim told me, this happens 364 days a year. The only day they don't meet for prayer is Christmas Day. Because there's so many worship services on Christmas, all the Korean people come. And then I watched the pastor get on his knees, <laughs> crawl up the steps. Without walking, he crawled to the pulpit with his hands in his face. And I, I heard all of these people weeping. <laughs> and I whispered to Billy Kim, I said, what are they weeping about? He said, Lou, They're praying for the people of North Korea. Their enemies. Their family members. For that horrible regime that oppresses their people. When I came home, I met with Jerry Shevlin, our president, and I said, Jerry, we've got to send missionaries to South Korea. He said, why? He said, it's the most Christian nation in the world. They have more missionaries than we do. I said, yes. I said, I'm not talking about an ordinary missionary. I'm talking about a reverse missionary. We need to have American people go to South Korea, learn what the South Koreans are doing, and then come back and tell us, teach us how to be people of prayer. Daniel knew about prayer, <laughs> didn't he? Yes, he did. I can tell you this morning, I think I know about our pastor, Daniel. He's been my partner in ministry for... He's a man of prayer. All of the lives would not be changed here without a man of God leading us. And letting us be the people of God wouldn't happen. But i got to add the last little bit. <laughs> You'll have to forgive me. <laughs> I was a Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman. I was the toughest person you'd ever meet. I'm the only white man you'll ever meet that actually fought Indians that lived in teepees. They'd whoop on me and I'd whoop on them. <laughs> And there in Alberta, Canada, Linda got pregnant with Aaron, my oldest girl, the girl that went to South Korea and to Africa as a missionary. She went over to the hospital in labor pains. The doctor called me to the hospital and he said, we can't deliver the baby. She's a severe breach and there's no way we can do it here in this little hospital. Got to go to Edmonton, the capital city. 
The ambulance came. They put Linda and Aaron into the ambulance. The only thing that I could see were Aaron's feet. They were sticking out. And they were black and blue. <laughs> I said, this ain't going to end good. And that ambulance took off for Edmonton, Alberta. I went to the police department, told the sergeant, I'm going, I'm chasing. I got in my 1978 Chevy Monte Carlo with a great big eight engine, eight-cylinder engine, five-speed. I drove 110 miles an hour for 60 miles to Edmonton. And I never caught that ambulance driver. When I got to the hospital, I found that ambulance driver. I smacked him a good one. I said, how fast are you driving with my wife in that car? Went into the delivery room. Five doctors, ten nurses. And they looked at me at the head of the bed and said, we can't deliver the baby. If we don't get the baby out in the next half hour, she's going to die. My Aaron. And I did the only thing I knew how to do. I prayed. I begged God for a miracle. And the miracle came. His name was Dr. Richardson. I never forgot him. Big, tall Canadian kid walked into the delivery room. He looked at the doctors and the nurses. He said, one nurse, the rest of you get out. I'll deliver that baby. And in five minutes, he had Aaron in his hands. <laughs> and in 2,500 years, God, in a moment's notice, delivered Israel. And God is looking for miracles right here this morning, and He's begging, begging us this morning to say yes to Him, allow Him to do His perfect work in your life. Do you hear me now this morning, church? He wants to do a miracle. He is glorified when we trust Him, when there's nobody else to turn to. And there's only God. That's when God is the most glorified. Do you hear me, church? And He's begging us this morning to be those kind of people. Pastor, come. Come. The early service, He was in back there snoring. Didn't hear me. Come, Pastor Ben. Pastor Richard, come. Please. Kneel down. Kneel down, Richard. Richard's going on a mission trip that could define a whole season of ministry for us. He was drinking coffee in the early service. He never even heard me. Shame on him. Brethren, listen to me. These are our pastoral leaders. These are men that love us. They give their families. They give everything. They sacrifice for us. And what do we do for them? Friends, listen to me. What we've got to do is pray. We've got to beg God that God would do a miracle in the lives of these two men as they lead us. And in our lives. And the lives of our family. Come right now and stand around them. Put your hands on them. Will you do that for me? We'll close our service in prayer. Come. Don't wait. Come. Yes. My wife Linda, she doesn't she doesn't live with me anymore. You know that, don't you? <laughs> she lives in Florida. <laughs> she ain't living in Chicago no more. Uh, if she were here this morning, she'd be weeping and crying. Do you know why? Because she loves Pastor Dan. 
She says, he's the greatest pastor I've ever had. I can tell you this morning, he's the greatest pastor I've ever had. And I've had some good ones. Do you know why? Because he's not afraid of anything. He'll preach the Word of God, won't he? He'll tell us what we need to know. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're going to hit 20 years. Pastors don't last 20 years. Do you know that? <laughs> they leave and go somewhere else. Our guy has stuck here. And these are men that we want, aren't they? Huh? Somebody say amen. amen. Yes, we believe it this morning. Where's an elder? Stick up your hand. I was wondering if they come to church. You two elders pray, and then I'm going to close in prayer. Can we do that? Let's pray together, brethren, for these men. Pray that God will give them an anointing. Give Richard insight as he goes to Nepal and India. Pray, man. Lord, this morning there might be somebody here that has a pain or a hurt, a challenge in their lives that only You can meet. And I'm praying, Lord, right now, allow them the privilege of coming to the throne of grace and releasing it into Your grace. Lord, pour Your blessing upon us as the people of God. Lord, one of the greatest blessings of life is to have a pastor that loves You, cares for the sheep, Lord, I pray for Pastor Dan and for Pastor Rich. God, anoint them for the next season of ministry. And God, allow them to dare to be Daniel. 
And Lord, to be able to face the wickedness that is in high places and yet be willing to lift up the Lord Jesus, to suffer whatever it is that comes their way so that they might hear at the very end, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we covet that for one another. And we pray, God, in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives this morning that we might bring You great glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, for His sake, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may go back to wherever you came from. <laughs>